Hello and welcome to 10 by 9 where 9 people have up to 10 minutes each to tell a true story from their own life. Started by Padraig Otuma and me, Paul Doran, in Belfast in 2011. And this is the 10 by 9 podcast. Our return to live events in front of an actual audience in September was such a big thing for us we completely forgot was also our 10th anniversary. A decade of true stories and what a joy it's been. So a belated happy birthday to 10 by 9 and everyone who has supported us over the years. Thank you so much. Now back to business and there are two stories in this podcast and they hark back to our Zoom days. Both feature foreign travel but are very different. The first was told in June in conjunction with the Belfast Photo Festival. Let me introduce you to first timer Jane Lomas. Okay, here goes. My first time. Um, it's 1987 and we're in Philadelphia, but how we got here wasn't planned. It was all on the chance of closed eyes and fingers stabbing the map. We married in 85 and two weeks later, my family, my mum and my brothers, moved to make America their permanent home with my dad, who'd been working over there for years. I remember our wedding day filled with chaos, laughter and dancing, lots of dancing, Bit of booze, but lots of dancing. Um, I pushed the sadness away. The day was fantastic. We tried to settle into married life as young things do. He wanted to work abroad, wanted the excitement of something new. He tried for South Africa, but didn't get the job. Then he talked about Saudi. I was a London girl, Saudi. I was used to wine bars, shopping, meeting friends. Besides, I enjoyed working and earning my own money. I couldn't imagine being cooped up on some compound with other European and American women. I said no to that. I had a green card for America and we'd applied for his, but I got stopped by immigration on a trip to visit my family. I was carted off into an interview room and interrogated by two very macho men in uniform with guns. I was 23. They scared the hell out of me. They said I had to live in America if I was to keep my green card. He would have to follow on when he got his. The US Embassy assured us it would only be for a couple of months. We talked about it and decided it was a fine idea. I handed in my notice, moved across the pond, lived with my parents, got a job and a car. We're in the Midwest, a far cry from the giddiness of London. I stood out. I was a novelty. I hated that. I hated having to repeat myself 15 times and ordering food. My social life was reduced to going to the gym. The promised couple of months stretched into 10. Finally, he arrived. It was a big thing to do, giving up his career and starting again. We were full of hope. I'm not sure if we were stupid or naive. Anyway, after a month and no sign of a job for him and getting fed up with standing out, we knew we had to do something. There seemed a better chance of work for him on the Eastern Seaboard. I was just a secretary. There was always work for me. So one evening, after a couple of beers, we spread the map out on the bed. Our choices were Boston, New York, Philadelphia or Washington, D.C. I wanted New York. I loved that city. I imagined eating breakfast at a deli on my way to work and picking up a coffee to go, riding the subway and working in a skyscraper. I was there. He hated the idea. That was when we closed our eyes and stabbed the map, pinned the tail on the donkey style. We both landed near Philadelphia. We'd never been there before. I handed my notice in, we packed up the car. We drove to the end of my parents' drive, not knowing whether to turn left or right. 
1987, there was no sat-nav, no Google Maps or mobile phones. We drove through Ohio and Pennsylvania and six hours later arrived in Philadelphia. It's funny how you can talk about doing a thing, about going somewhere, it all sounds so easy, especially after a few beers and a map spread out before you. But just imagine that all you have is a city as a destination. What do you do when you get there? Where do you go? We drove around and around Center City, which is Philly's version of downtown. It was fun at first, but I could feel the mild panic creeping into the car. It was getting dark and we needed to find a motel. We were stopped at a red light deciding where to go when a man approached the car. He said he'd run out of gas and he left his wallet at home. He looked down on his luck. Maybe he hadn't eaten for days. We gave him $10. We didn't have much ourselves. We had savings, but we had to make them last as long as we could. We drove on. Either hotels looked too expensive or looked as if they charged by the hour. We couldn't find one that was just right. Finally, at around 10 o'clock, we drove out to the airport and booked a room for the night. It was way over our budget, but there was a phone so we could call my parents and let them know we'd arrived safely and that all was well. But it wasn't. We didn't eat. We'd blown our daily budget on the man with no gas and the extortionate rate for the room. I remember going to sleep feeling lost and just a little afraid. But the next day, things became easier. We bought a map of the city and found a motel in a wonderful place called King of Prussia, which is to the northwest of Philadelphia. We got a weekly rate. We're so weak, we thought. Then we'll decide if we'll give it another week. We counted our money and had enough to last a month if we were careful. That week was spent trawling the newspapers and driving around looking for work. At lunchtimes, we'd go through a McDonald's drive-thru and get a Coke each to get us through the day. There was a Denny's diner next to our motel and we'd go there each evening. The food was cheap, the plates piled high. They had a special deal for two courses. I had a starter and dessert every night. He had a starter and main every night. But you got free ice water and bottomless cups of coffee. We gorged ourselves. The waitress was funny. You love our coffee, huh? She'd ask on our umpteenth refill. We got to our room, lay on the bed, flat on our backs and undo the button on our jeans so we could breathe. What a feeling it was to be so full of food. By the end of the week, I got a job. The next week, he got a temporary job and a permanent one a couple of weeks later. We spent two weeks at that motel and then found a tiny apartment. To celebrate my first paycheck, we went out to eat properly. No diner food. I had a fresh fruit platter with cheese. I can still taste the sweet crunch of the apples and the soft, juicy pop of the grapes. It took a while before I could eat anything fried again. In the grand scheme of things, it wasn't a big adventure. We could have gone back to my parents at any time or returned to London, but I'm glad we stuck it out. A couple of years later, we were driving through the city and we stopped at a red light. A man walked towards us. I recognize that guy, he said. He rolled down his window. You got any spare money for gas? I've run out and left my wallet at home. Now I recognised him too. He looked thinner, his hair was longer, but his eyes seemed to dance as if he had a private joke going on in his head. My instinct was to drive away. No one likes being conned. We were still struggling for money, but we'd moved into a bigger apartment and were now able to afford to rent furniture and a TV. We had day trips to Atlantic City and New York. Played the tourist in Philly, exploring the Italian markets, the Liberty Bell and South Street, the strip full of bars and restaurants. We jogged up the steps of the art museum, singing the tune to Rocky. We marveled at Boathouse Row and imagined Grace Kelly sauntering along the Schuylkill River. 
Life was sweet for us in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. We gave the guy 10 bucks and drove on our way. Thanks so much, Jane, and thanks for giving us the title for this podcast this week. By the way, you can see Jane telling that story on our YouTube channel. All our Zoom events are up there in bite-sized chunks. Also on there is our next 10x9er, Richard O'Leary, who is known for his brilliant use of props. Take it away, Richard. In the 1970s, at school in Cork, I had to study a foreign language. My school didn't teach French. It taught Spanish. Ours was a Catholic seminary school, and we were all taught Spanish in the hope that one day, some of us boys might join the missionaries in Peru. I did not become a missionary in Peru. Our Spanish teacher told us to call him the master, El Maestro. El Maestro taught us about Ireland's historical links with Spain. That in the 17th century, during the Protestant Reformation, the English in Ireland banned Catholic boys from studying for the priesthood. So at that time, Catholic boys were sent abroad to be educated in Spain, sent to a famous Irish college in the town of Salamanca. The thought of being sent to school in Spain seemed to me rather exciting. El Maestro tried to teach us Spanish using a school textbook called Living Spanish. This is my copy of that textbook. The title Living Spanish was about the only living thing about it. Our textbook was published in 1949, and this is evident from the front cover. On the cover is a drawing of a man riding a donkey. My introduction to Spanish and Spain was the two world of El Campesino, the rural peasant, and Los Burros, traditional donkeys. During my school days, I never actually got to take a trip to Spain. Our family couldn't afford to take foreign holidays. The closest I got to Spain was when I opened my stamp album. I turned to the page on Spain where I could inspect my four meager stamps from Spain, three of which were of Spain's head of state, General Franco. I noticed the pictures on stamps in my album were disproportionately of men which may explain why my stamp album was called Gay Venture. After I left school and reached my 21st birthday, I was able to travel outside of Ireland to travel for the first time to Europe. And to where did I book my first foreign trip? I booked a trip to Spain. Arriving at the airport in Madrid at immigration control, I handed to the immigration officer my passport, this passport. I possessed one of the earliest Irish passports with the maroon cover and with the words written on the cover, European community. Those were the days. The immigration officer took my passport, looked at my photo, looked at me and flicked passport pages to the first page. Then he reached for an ink stamp and pressed the ink stamp against the blank page and it reads, Direccion Estado, Fronteras. Uh, 9th of July, 1985, Madrid, Baracas, Entrada. My first immigration stamp in my first passport. 
I would from then on collect these immigration stamps like I collected stamps in my stamp album. I must have felt this first trip abroad was significant as in Madrid, I bought what was called a Cuaderno Escolar, a student copybook. This actually has student copybook written on the bottom, even though it's got Walt Disney images on the cover. And this is the copybook in which I wrote a daily record, a sort of diary of my first foreign trip. Tuesday, the 9th of July, 1985. Madrid, blinding sun, weight of rucksack, underlined. Why was my rucksack so heavy? It was additionally heavy because I was carrying some dried food. More about that later. According to Living Spanish, Spain, the land of peasants, was very poor and I didn't want to end up hungry. Clutching my copy of Living Spanish, I ventured into Madrid of the 1980s with the vocabulary of the rural 1950s. Living Spanish didn't have the words for underground metro train. I was hopelessly lost in time and place. Wednesday, the 10th of July, 1985, et out, 600 pesetas, paella valenciana, comma, rice, brackets, yellow. At least I wasn't starving. But yellow rice, I had never seen yellow rice in Ireland. So that was what saffron was for. Now that I was fortified, I was ready to venture into the heart of Spain, into Castilla and La Mancha, to walk in the steps of Don Quixote. I took a bus to the edge of Madrid, and on the side of a dual carriageway, I extended my arm and raised my thumb. In the afternoon heat, I waited. Diary entry, Friday the 12th of July. Took two hours before I got my first hitch in the town of Maqueda. Couldn't get a lift out of Maqueda. Took the bus back to Madrid. That's when I abandoned any attempts to walk in the steps of Don Quixote. Next journal entry. Missed the train to Toledo because I confused llegadas, means arrivals, with salidas, which means departures. From Toledo, I posted a postcard to my parents. Dear ma'am, dad and all, so far so good. The country is very stimulating. Unfortunately, this part of Spain is extremely hot, but I stay in the shade as much as possible. Love, Richard. On the postcard is a postage stamp, but it is not a stamp of dictator General Franco. It is a stamp of King Juan Carlos. I had traveled, but so too had Spain. Spain had become a modern European democracy. I realized that El Maestro had induced me to a Spain under Franco, which no longer existed. What else had El Maestro misled us on? I wondered, did the Irish college in Salamanca that he told us about it, did it even exist? Saturday the 13th of July, 1985. Took the train to Salamanca. Slept without a tent in a camping site. Very cold. Visited a new cathedral and the Colegio Arzobispo 
Fonseca, irlandeses, colegio irlandeses. So El Maestro hadn't made it up. There really was an Irish college in Salamanca. Tuesday, the 16th of July, 1985, took the train to Irún. Irún is the border crossing between Spain and France. At the frontier barrier, the border guards noticed I was carrying a copy of Living Spanish, if I can just find where I put it. I opened my book at chapter 25, a chapter called In La Frontera. And I showed those border guards the funny drawing of two carabineros, border guards, wearing hats just like theirs, hats which looked like upturned bases. Unfortunately, they were not amused. One of them pointed to my rucksack and said the word aduana, a word I knew from living Spanish, which meant customs. I opened my rucksack and they started to empty it. And what did they find? ¿Qué es esto? Asked the carabinero. He held up a packet, a small packet of dried food, a packet of lentils. Son lentejas, I answered. Las lentejas, they gasped. The two carabineros burst out laughing at a young Irishman who carried a bag of dried lentils across Spain in the summer heat on his first foreign trip. Thank you, Richard. Such an Irish way to travel. Muchas gracias. Dos cerveza, por favor. And that is the extent of my Spanish, sadly. Ten by nine is always free and always will be, but we do have a Patreon page if you'd like to help cover our costs. We're so thankful to everyone who has donated or continues to donate. Or you can give via PayPal, just look us up using our email address, which is story at 10by9.com. That is story at 10by9.com. Equally, you can support us by just turning up, by listening and enjoying. Thank you. And that is it for this podcast. We love to hear from you and you can get in touch with us on social media, email or via our website 10by9.com. Keep an eye out for upcoming events and themes and keep checking Eventbrite for tickets if you're coming to the Black Box. Tell as many people as you can about the podcast. I'm Paul Dorn, and I'll be back with another one soon. For now, bye-bye.